We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. I'd like you to look here at uh, Proverbs chapter 6. If you'll remember last week, we, got, uh, we didn't quite get through it in Proverbs 6. We got down to about, uh, let's see, verse 24, I believe. And uh, the, the name of the text last week, you remember when I burst forth with the 60s in, in glorious uh, whatever, you know? Smiling faces sometimes pretend to be your friends. Can you dig it? Smiling faces hide the traces of the evils that lurk within. And so what all of chapter 6 was about was not being akakos, if you remember the rendition of the word. It's the Greek word for naive. Akakos, kakos, evil, akakos, no evil. It's real little red riding hood. What big eyes you got, grandma? She can't figure it out. It's a babe in the woods that goes out there that you have to have presence of mind to know where evil is. And uh, he talked about about oh, three areas. He talked about money, being careful when you got a cosign for somebody and you are now responsible for their irresponsibility, be careful. Or number two, you had laziness, a little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands to rest. You hit that snooze alarm too much and it's going to come for you. And in the end, you're going to end up broke. The number three was bad guys that uh, get into your organization and like to get around a water cooler and start trouble because they don't want to rise through the ranks. They want to cut in line and create division. Bad guys. And now in verse 24 and following, bad girls. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date women that do. That was the rule <laughs> for college when I went there. Well, what he's going to talk about in 24 through 35 is uh, seduction. The ability to be talked into a bed. Samson, can that ever happen? Yes, it can. Nothing terrifies a parent more than to send a kid out uh, knowing that there is this drive in them because sex is a natural drive. It is put there by God for the highest of purposes for, for marriage and for children. It is a powerful drive. And it's a drive that kicks in before your brain does. That's the problem, that you're, you can reproduce maybe at 15 and you mature about 64. Right? <laughs> so that's why, uh, you know, humans have the longest period of maturity of any animal. All animals generally are born what is called precocious, uh, meaning that as soon as they're born and hit the ground, they can run. Because everything likes wildebeest, isn't that the word? And so that wildebeest better be able to run real quick, all right? Uh, uh, vultures, a lot of times, will wait for a, a cow to give birth. And that little bitty one 
They can congregate on it and eat it. Coyotes are looking for it. But once they get up moving, now they're okay. Elephants, the whole pack will stay around them, make sure they're okay. Mosquitoes, nobody cares. Nobody loves a mosquito. <laughs> Eat the mosquito. I don't but humans have the longest period. Uh, we, you know, we let them go loose hypothetically at 18 to 21, but you and I all know that that's the stupidest creature on the face of the earth. All right. Been there, done that. All right. Uh, and so this right here is to a young man, beware, okay? It says uh, in verse 24, the way it starts, that the word of God is to keep you from the evil woman and the smooth tongue of the adulteress. It starts with speech, with a tongue. Nothing is more exciting to a man than a woman who thinks he is. And so when that woman tells you how marvelous you are, verse 25, now you go to beauty. Don't desire her beauty in your heart or let her capture you with her eyelids when she bats her eyelashes at you. So you go from listening now to beauty. Your eyes meet and the attraction begins. And then in verse 26, it progresses on account of a harlot. One is reduced to a loaf of bread. They eat you a slice at a time. You're going to be consumed by this. Lust devours, love gives, but lust devours. When my son was a St. Louis Cardinal, John Clark, their rookie camp, they got all the rookies together. And they said, we want to talk to you about three things. Number one is your money. You've made money up front by signing. That money ain't going to be there for long. The shortest lived of all talents is the physical. Because by the time you hit 28, you're over the hill. Can y'all remember 28? When you're 28, you're done. And so you made your money up front. That money's not going to be there for long. So don't go get you some bling. Don't think you got to go get you a whatever. You hold on to your money. And then they tell you about tobacco. And they'll have a guy come and lecture you that goes around within the league that's missing half his face because of chewing that it's carcinogenic. And if you get it too much and it starts, you're in a world of hurt. So historically, ball players always get in the box and scratch and spit, okay? That's just the American way. If you have any problem with that, just email me, all right? Don't be spitting out there because you're gonna begin a habit and it's gonna take your jawbone if you don't watch it. And then they talk about women that you're going to find groupies that hang around outside the, the uh, locker room when you come out because you are their lawful prey. And you are a guy, they will locate the guys that they think are going to go. And in three years, if you're going to make it in baseball, you've got to play at least three years, be a free agent. That's where you make your money. And so they're looking for the guy that will make it. And so you be careful of tobacco and uh, 
what else did I say? Women <laughs> and uh, your money. You be careful because those three things will take you down. And so right here, he says, you get consumed. You get eaten alive. And in verse 27, here's the effects. Can a man take fire in his bosom? His clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals? His feet not be scorched? Your bosom, your feet, your heart, your life, you're going to get a third degree burn. When I was at Dallas Seminary, Chuck Swindoll did a chapel message to all these guys, all these males, on here's what can happen if you have an affair. He had like 20 some odd points. This is what, whenever the night is over, this is what you're going to have to deal with. And it is ugly indeed. And so be careful. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, we're to keep faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck as regards the faith. And so I've never had an affair. You know why? Because I know I can. And so all the work that I've done, all the stuff I have learned for these 50 years, if I do something stupid, I run aground, and it's all lost to me. Amen? And you too. And so you can, you can capsize your, uh, your craft by foolishness. You watch yourself. And then he goes on to say what else follows in verse 30 is death. Somebody might kill you. Men don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy when he is hungry, but when he's found, he has to repay sevenfold and give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would, what do the next two words say? Destroy himself. He will, he does it, wounds and disgrace. He will find his reproach will not be blotted out. It will be difficult not to look at that man. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Wrath is fierce, uh, anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? My son, again, John Clark, he's a Fort Worth detective. When he would get called out on calls, he said, there's two calls that terrify you when you get a call as a cop. One is if you've got a guy on PCP. Is that the name of it? Yeah. What else do they call that? Is that angel dust? Yeah. Their, their technical term for it in the police department, if a guy's on drugs on PCP, is he's on naked. Because some reason you want to take your clothes off. Don't ask me. When you get on PCP, you go crazy. And whenever you get a call on a guy with PCP, you put 10 in the clip because one's not going to stop him. I think we had one of those on the North Texas campus a couple of years ago with a guy with an ax in a parking garage. And you couldn't stop him. So who are we going to let get killed? Him, her, or this guy? Who's going to be the widow? And so you put 10 in him because eight won't stop him. He's nuts. So... He said, that's a dangerous call when you get that call. 
And the other one, believe it or not, is a domestic call. When you gotta step into a house where jealousy is raging, if there's a third person there, you better be real careful because somebody's gonna get shot because somebody's not thinking. You ever heard of a murder-suicide? They happen when people go completely off the reservation. And so he says, uh, somebody can come back on you and in Israel, you died. You and the party that you're engaged with, you died. And so he said, you better think long and hard before you pull this stunt. One time I was with a very well-known pastor in Dallas. We went out to eat and we were sharing stories on who had the worst stories in his career, okay? We, I think we talked for an hour and 45 minutes. And uh, I told him some of my horror stories. And he said, that ain't nothing. You ever had a murder for hire? Hmm. Not that I know of. This guy's pastor didn't have an indoor voice, okay? <laughs> there I was! <laughs> and I get a call on a Saturday night. It's from a private investigator. He said, I need to talk to you. I said, it's Saturday night. I got Sunday. It's starting to rain. He said, I need to talk to you now. And I see people around the restaurant are starting to look. <laughs> and here it is. I said, all right, I met him at the church. He walks in, he says, you got a guy in your church? And he said, I did. One of the best teachers at the local college he was talking about. He's having an affair with his dentist's wife. I said, no way. He said, you want the pictures? I'm a private investigator. There's the back seat. Whoa. He said, here's the deal. I'm gonna go to him in 30 minutes and tell him, the, the husband of the woman having the affair, he's told me he's gonna have this guy killed. So I'm telling you now, this guy is gonna die and this guy is gonna do it because he's mad. Uh, he gets us on the phone, calls him up. I need to see you and your wife over here right now. Why? You just get here. I'm telling you, I need you right now. He comes says, I got a guy in the other room and there's a private investigator. We got pictures of you having sex with this guy's wife in the back seat. There is no way. He says the guy's also got a hit man. He's ready to take you out. What do we need to do? <laughs> People in the restaurant are starting going, all right, yeah. Go back to your eating. He said, I called them all together and believe it or not, he said, we got it ironed out and escaped until a couple of months later when the teacher ran off with the woman and took off to get married. He said, I saw him months and years later at a party and he came up and shook my hand. I just gave him a dead fish and walked away. He wrote me back about how sorry I was. I said, I don't want to shake your hand. You're a liar and you're a hypocrite and you break up families. Don't ever talk to me again. Whoa. Isn't that a good illustration? Think about that. And so we go now to chapter seven. Boy, how are you going to top that, Tom? Well, we got another hooker here in chapter seven. 
You know, I swear. This is your hooker section. Yeah, chapter seven, we got an adulteress again. You know what? This is the fourth time we've talked about the adulteress. She's gotten two entire chapters and uh, 65 verses out here. And so you would think, number one, that there's something wrong with us, that we have to be given so much. See, immorality is that one sin that at any given time, it's a glory to God and it brings about the conception of life. At another time, it's an abomination. Amen. I mean, anger, wrath, stealing, they're usually all the same. They're, they're sin. This is the one that can be a glory or it can be a sin. It's the misuse of a natural inclination. And so something is wrong with us. That's why this is the one sin that it says flee. Take off running like Joseph. Don't mess with it. Uh, Peter said, corruption is in the world by lust. Paul said, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The principle of evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Y'all believe that? Evil is in me. I would not have known coveting if the law had not said thou shalt not covet, but sin taken opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind of kind. Apart from the law, sin is dead. Jesus, stay awake and pray because the spirit's willing. Flesh is weak. Your flesh don't take notes and it's gonna sin. James, what is, the what is the cause of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not the cause your flesh that wages war in your members. So we're always told to uh, buffet our body, make it our slave. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Consider yourself as dead. We now have a new option that we're born again. And so pay attention to it. And I also think that he speaks to it because sin, sexual sin, in a sense, is the most self-destructive thing that you can do. Um, if, just for a second, go to that text that Drew, you might have wondered why Drew read that text to you. Go back to 1 Corinthians 6, just real quick. And In 1 Corinthians 6, the Corinthians... They live down on the coast. They live on Galveston, so to speak. They live on San Francisco. They live out on Key West. And all kind of ideas come through there. It's where the birth of modern philosophy was among the Greeks in the Greek islands, where there were all kind of ideas coming through there. It ain't like you live in Lubbock, you know. There's no coming and going. That ideas are coming and going. And so... This was one of the thoughts they had in chapter 6, verse 12. These should have quotes around them. Their, their local kind of mantras. All things are lawful for me. Meaning, they were saying, you can do whatever you want to do because you're saved. Anything you want to do, you can do it. It's called antinomianism. No law. Antinomos. All things are lawful for me. And Paul now inter seeds and says, yeah, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful. Yeah, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Some things can ruin you and some things can enslave you. 
And so that's not what we're talking about when we say a Christian is free. In verse 13, this is another mantra that they would say. Food is for the stomach, the stomach is for food. Why could we have sex? Why do you think God gave you sex organs? Use them. The food is for stomach. Stomach is for food. So use it, eat. You've got sexual organs, use them. You have a stomach, eat. You have sexual organs, use them. That's the mantra. It seemed like we heard that in the 60s too. That uh, free love. And so in verse 15 says, excuse me, the body is not for immorality. No, the body is for the Lord. It's to glorify God. That's why you have a body. Not to indulge it, but to follow God. And he says, uh, and the Lord is for the body. He delights in your human body. He made you in the innermost places in the dark. And to prove it in verse 14, God not only raised the Lord bodily, he's gonna raise us bodily. Do y'all believe that? Someday we're gonna all come forth from the grave. We'll all look like Herschel Walker. Okay. And so he says, your body is not for immorality. It's not to be indulged. It is to glorify God. In verse 15, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? In other words, when you got saved, you, you came into union with the heavenly bridegroom. And so the two become one flesh. You are now one with Christ. Shall I take the members of Christ, your body, and drag them through the dirt, through the sewer, and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Now, they may have a question right here. What do you mean, members of a prostitute? It's a one-night stand. It's a 30-minute break during the day. What do you mean, make it members? Yeah, because in 16, don't you know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? What do you mean you join yourself? You are one body. Well, Paul says, haven't you read the Bible? The two become one flesh. That when you get married, there is this mystic union. It says in the Bible that Jacob came to Laban and said, where is Rachel that I might go into her? Samson came to his father-in-law and says, where'd she go? That I might go into her. That you now have body parts mesh and responses take over and the phenomena of two half cells. Can you imagine that? Two half cells come together and a human is born. Amazing. And I mean, they'll look a little like her and a little like him. And so, shall I, or rather you join yourself, your one body. He's simply saying, you guys have a real low view of sex, what it's supposed to do. It's meant to be for a husband and a wife that are of the same mind to come together at the beginning. Sex does not end the night. It begins the next 50 years, Lord willing. You dig? 
That's the purpose with God. It consummates the union. I'll be your head. I will be submissive. I will love you to the death. I will follow you. Bodies come together. Life is conceived. And like I did a funeral this week of Glenn Severson, and there was his wife, Carolyn, of 62 years. And I said, Carolyn, you said till death. And you did it. You did it, what you said. And so that's what it's meant to be, that we make this commitment. And so it's like when you send a, a letter, you seal the envelope, all right, and it stay seals. You don't reuse envelopes because once you seal them and tear them apart, it ain't the same envelope. And so he says, these two become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You're taking what belongs to God and you are giving it away for 30 minutes. So in verse 18, run, because every other sin a man commits is outside the body. You are anger against this person, you steal this, you cheat on this, it's always you do something to somebody. But the immoral man, it's you. It's self-punitive to you when you do this, of tearing that envelope open. It says in Romans, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Immorality is its own judgment. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? You're not your own. You don't have that right. You've been bought with a price. You were purchased by Christ. Therefore, don't be dragging that body through the gutter. You glorify God in your body. Paul will say to the Ephesians, let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Is this a little bit different from our culture? Just a tad? Yeah. See, one of the problems when you get rid of God in a culture is there are certain institutions that rest upon the infinite personal God. Uh, you can't have a work ethic if you don't have God. You can't have a, a loving husband and a respectful wife if you don't have God. Uh, you can't leave your car unlocked without God. You, uh, you can't let your kid go walking at night without God. You can't trust an educational system without God. And so there are things that stand or fall upon God. That's why when I taught the Song of Solomon way back in the early 90s, it took off because it was a book for its day because all of these young people were going, you know, what is this? We've had our sexual revolution and we've just ended up with just AIDS and every kind of STD and abortion and divorce and good night. It was a devolution. What happened to us? Well, here's the Song of Solomon. Here's the way it's supposed to be. And so, uh, immorality is a very self-punitive thing. It can harm you. And so let no one deceive you with empty words. 
It's called by Carl Truman, the pornification of a culture. Sexually is meant to be a highly subjective thing. That woman is my wife. That husband is my mate. That's my man. And so I will dress for, touch, excite, conceive with that man, that woman. And uh, when that falls to the wayside, now sex becomes a very objective thing. You objectify sin. I'm looking at pornography. Who's the woman? I don't know. I don't care. I'm watching it. Uh, who are you, you know, shacked with in your youth? I don't know. I have no intentions. The, the way God rigs sex is you're not meant to walk away. Amen? You're not meant to walk away from that. It tears it. You stay there. It's a a very uh, lofty uh, biological fusion right there. And it's not good to tear that thing. Now, before we go on, Paul said to the Corinthians, and such were some of you, you guys messed up. Can God fix us? Yes, he can. Everybody do this. <laughs> and we're glad God can fix us. I tell you what, everybody here who was a virgin, stand up if you would, all right? <laughs> Kidding, all right. Now, we're a pagan culture, all right? And God has to redeem us out of stuff. Call your husband. I don't have a husband. No, I believe you've had five. And now you're living with a guy. You've given up on the institution. Uh, go, a woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And so we're glad and that's why you don't see anybody in the Bible that reigns supreme except this one man. That's all. Everybody else struggles. Glory for a redeemer. And so, in chapter 7, he just says, watch this. It's a play-by-play. -play. My son, keep my words, treasure my commandments. Keep my commandments and live. You enjoy life as it's meant to be. You keep my teaching as the apple of your wife. It's talking about your pupil. You be careful with it. That's why I do not wear contacts. I will never wear contacts. I cannot step my finger on my eyeball. Okay. And so, you keep it like the most sensitive thing you have is your Bible. It's what you see. You bind it on your fingers. It's how you work. Write it on the tablet. It's how you feel. Say to wisdom, your Bible, you're my sister, my intimate friend. You ever notice old 80-year-old saints that have kept their Bible? It looks like it's been drugged behind a pickup because they have used it so much. It's duct taped. It's their most precious thing. He said, look, in verse 5, they'll keep you from the adulteress. When Joseph is told, lie with me. He's got something to go against it because everybody in Egypt would lie with somebody. And Joseph said, how can I do this great sin against God? Well, I don't believe in an infinite God. Well, I do, and I can't do this. No, your culture doesn't dictate my actions. God dictates my actions. In verse six, he says, once upon a time, 
I looked out of my house. I looked through the lattice. That means I could see him, but he couldn't see me. And I saw among the naive, the youth, a youth lacking sense. I saw a young man that had passion, but no discretion. And I saw him passing through the street near her corner, took the way to her house. Remember Star Wars, the tractor beam? This kid's in the death grip of the Death Star. He's playing with it. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. He's walking near. And verse nine, in the twilight, the evening, the middle of the night, the darkness, it gets darker and darker and darker and darker. And he has the feeling that nobody sees him. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night, and those who sin, sin at night. Since we are of the day, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. If you're gonna go jogging during the day and somebody comes by you, always make eye contact. How you doing? I recognize you. Is that your license plate? Okay. <laughs> Don't jog at night because now there's no accountability. Somebody throw a cinder block. All right. And so... Don't jog at night. And so, behold, a woman comes to meet him. He's gotten in her territory. He's gotten in her feeding territory. She's dressed as a harlot. She's dressed to kill. She reaches into his eyes and touches them. Men are stimulated. Whoever looks at a woman to lust, he is stimulated. Cunning of heart, she's a predator. She knows what she's doing. She's boisterous and rebellious. She's liberated. She's a free spirit. She is Madonna, all right. She is boisterous and rebellious. I burn my candle at both ends. It will not last the night, but all my foes and all my friends, it gives a lovely light. Spoken by, uh, who wrote that? Oh, she was real famous, okay. And her feet don't remain at home. She scorns the puritanical ways of the Bible. I'm gonna cross that line. And she's now in the streets, then she's in the squares. She's by every corner. Satan prowls about like a roaring lion. She's getting close. She's getting close. She spots him. Verse 6, 13, the most exciting thing in the world to a man is an aggressive woman. She seizes him and kisses him. She lets him know, man, I want you. And with a brazen face, brazen face, bronze is a subject in the Bible that talks about judgment and sacrifice. A brazen face means she has no shame. And she says to him, you know, I was due to offer peace offerings. She's very religious. A peace offering is where you burned part of it and the rest of it you ate because you're in fellowship with God. And so she says, we're doing nothing wrong. I offered peace offerings today. I'm in fellowship with God. I just got out of uh, my uh, Bible study. We're okay. I've paid my vows because me and God are close. I'm a holy woman. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. I've got brisket back at the house. 
and I found you. So there is hearing. I have spread my couch with coverings. He can almost touch them. Colored linens of Egypt, he can see them. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. He can smell them. All the senses, because that's the root word of sensual, and he's not thinking. What do you do to go shoot a deer? Rattle antlers, appeal to his pride. Other deer's out here looking for your doe. Then you put out must, that this deer is ready. She's in heat, ready to go. Then you put out food. Food, sex, pride. You're a dead deer. <laughs> and so, in verse 18, boy, it's incredible. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. We're gonna get intoxicated on each other. We're not just gonna consummate this thing. We're gonna drag it out all night. Let's delight ourselves with caresses. My husband is not at home. He's going on a journey, taking a bag of money. He's not gonna come back to the full moon. We can't get found out. Nobody's gonna see. Well, if you were in such fellowship with God, you wouldn't worry about it. Well, he's not thinking though. He's, in verse 21, with many persuasions, she keeps coming and keeps coming. She entices. The word entice in Greek is a word that, the root word is the word bait, used by Peter who was a fisherman. Suddenly he follows her, an ox to the slaughter. He will never come back the same. As one in fetters, he is enslaved to the discipline of a fool. What's the only, can you teach a fool? No, what's the only way a fool can learn? Pain. He is about to learn a lesson. Until an arrow pierces his liver, surprise, surprise. As a bird hastens to the snare, surprise, surprise. He does not know it's going to cost him his life. Therefore, sons, listen to me. Pay attention to me. Don't let your heart turn. Don't let your feet stray. Don't see how close you can get to the flame, Icarus. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Kid that made himself some wings. Daddy said, all right, don't get too close to the sun. He did and he died. Be careful of this. For many are the victims she has cast down. You know, the oldest piece of commercial that we have is in Corinth and it's feet in concrete leading the way to a brothel. That's the oldest advertisement that we have. It's said that prostitution is the oldest profession. Matter of fact, in the book of Genesis, there's a guy named Lamech before the flood who has two wives named Ada and Zillah. Two wives. You know what Ada and Zillah mean? Ornament and tinkling. What do you think they look like? It wasn't American Gothic, I'll assure you. He found him over at the Shadows Lounge, okay? And so, numerous are her slain, and her house descends to Sheol, to death, to the chambers. You're still gonna be alive and be dead because you're gonna start a lifestyle that's gonna addict you 
if somebody doesn't pull you out of it. So be careful. I've ever told you, I got a couple of minutes here. I've ever told you on my stu- story of being in a uh, Juarez brothel? I'm just wondering. I tell it to you next time. I don't. <laughs> God in my life has let certain things happen to me that branded me. All right. When I was in college, we played New Mexico State. I started the game. We lost. It was one of my better games. We lost 10 to nothing. <laughs> and me and a couple of my buddies, Lewis and Steve, went out that night over to Juarez. Okay. Our taxi driver took us out in the middle of the night. And uh, this taxi driver had a deal with some people over across the border. And so he pulls us up in front of this uh, two-story white building. And we go in. So we walked in there. And when I walked in, there were no windows in there. It was all dark, and it was, they had red lights that lit it up. It was like Dante's ninth level of hell, all right? And people were smoking everywhere. You know, it wasn't that long until I was in Pawnee Martin's Herring Avenue Methodist Church Sunday school class, but here I was. And I said, this is an odd place. And I noticed there were some ladies scantily clad walking all over the place. And then I noticed that there were nurses walking around. Because prostitution is legal, they got to make sure that nobody has VD. So they're checking people. And then I noticed there's some big Tony Soprano types walking around, you know. And then this girl came up to me named Mary, and she gave me her resume of what she was going to do. And I thought, I said, I think I said, so this isn't Luby's? (laughs) And it occurred to me that I was in a brothel. I was in a Juarez brothel. And I looked about and I said to my companions, Louis and Steve, leave us quit this place with great expedition. And we left and escaped with our lives. But you know, to this day, I can remember the sight the smell, the feeling, the music, get your motor running. Well, on the highway. <laughs> I was someplace I shouldn't have been. And uh, I remember thinking, if I get, as I think back, I could have, somebody could have killed me, gutted me, and sold my whatever, right there. Now, they'd have never known I was dead simply because I just kind of, like an ox, led to the slaughter. I got out of there, and it, it affected me for 
hours. <laughs> Sometimes, and, and you know, it's like every time I get anywhere near anything that is illicit, there is something in me that just smells something foul because I was there and I got out alive. I'll go share that with your children. <laughs> About Pastor Tom. Father in heaven, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross that paid for our infractions because uh, that was the culture that all of us here, unless some guy's 95, that was the culture we grew up in. That sex is for the body and the body is for sex and that attitude of the puritanicals to be cast aside, you're to fly, little bird, and live, that you have sex and you walk away, and then you have it again and you walk away, and again and you walk away, and you objectify your partner. They're just something. And by the time we get married, we've already been married and divorced physically, in a sense, five and six times. So I pray that you would protect us, Christians, and this godless culture that we are in that did not emerge from Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Matthew or Romans or Corinthians, but it emerged from Babylon. It emerged from the world. It emerged from Sodom. God, keep us clean. And if there's anybody here that is uh, playing with fire. I pray that they would, as Paul said, flee immorality and run to Christ. A proper husband, a good shepherd, an intimate friend that can preserve us. And thank you, Lord, that you can make all things new. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.